If Jesus returned today, if Jesus returned, let's say Jesus returned in the next hour. Is there anything that you would do in the next hour if you had 60 minutes knowing that Jesus is coming back in 60 minutes? I wonder who we would call. I wonder who we would text if Jesus is coming back. If we did know, if we knew that, you know, he's coming back today, would that change at all what we did yesterday? If Jesus was coming back today, would that change at all what we were doing or watching last night? How much time and effort would we put into the people around us knowing, my God, Jesus, he's coming back. He's coming back for me. I hope he's coming back for my family. I hope he's coming back, you know, for all my friends. Would it change at all our attitudes knowing exactly if Jesus, what time is it now? It's 9.53. So at 11 o'clock this morning, Jesus is coming back. Would it change anything inside of you? Would it change any way that we walk and talk and dress this past week? Would it watch change anything that we have watched or listened to if we knew exactly that he was coming back this morning? We started the theme called On the Front Lines, and we know that our frontline workers, we are so appreciative of those who are out there. And in the past two years, they have fought a hard fight for us, right? We know for our firemen who there's always fires somewhere and we appreciate when they fight fires for us. You know, you think about the past two years, how many people have fought, you know, for, you know, restaurants and I'm in the restaurant business. I, I get the easier side of the restaurant business where I get to sell food and walk away, right? Whereas the restaurant owners, they have to pay bills, pay employees, pay their food bills, all, the, all that kind of stuff. But in my line of work, you know, they made us so to speak, frontline workers as well. They said that we're essential. We need to go out there and see customers. And for restaurants, you know, last year, the last couple of years, some of them fought to stay open illegally, legally, and um, providing food. How many of us know that food's important, right? Food, it is an important part of what we do every single day. There's not too many of us in here who, you know, willfully will skip meals every single day. We enjoy eating. And people, I always say food's like a drug, right? And you go to your favorite place <laughs> to get that drug because you like the food. You like how it tastes. You like how it feels. You like how it slides down, right? How it goes in. You like everything about the experience. And so the last couple of years have been weird. They've been challenging. And there's so many different frontline workers through the firemen, through the doctors, the nurses, through the restaurant owners, through salespeople, all of that. And they all have a different enemy, right? And just like Christians this morning, we also have many different enemies as Christians. We know that Ephesians 6.12 says, we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against the evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world. And so as a Christian, one of our enemies we know is the devil, right? How do you punch the devil who you can't see? How do you punch this enemy that you cannot see? Serving on the front lines as a Christian, as a servant of Jesus Christ, he is one of our number one enemies, right? He is our public enemy. This guy, he is grotesque. You know, for boxers who get into the ring, they know that when they're, when they're facing off and they're facing off toe to toe, they know who they're punching right? They have to build themselves up. They have to psych themselves out that I am getting ready, hopefully, to knock this guy out. I'm going to knock out, you know, 10 of his teeth, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. But they get to see that opponent. They get to see the man or the woman, right, that they're about to knock out. How do you handle the devil who you can't see? 
The Bible says, Ephesians 6, 12, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, and against his mighty powers. So many times I believe that as a Christian, we give credit to other people when it's the devil. Now, it goes always, right? Sometimes there's, there's Christians and believers and it's all the devil's fault all the time, 24 seven. If anything bad happens, it's the devil, right? The devil made me do it. The devil made you do it. The devil this, the devil that, right? And so it goes both ways. Sometimes the devil gets credit for everything. And then other times, sometimes we just forget that this enemy, this enemy is a believer that we're fighting. We can't see him. We can't see him, nor can we hit him because we can't see him. He is unseen. What do we know about our enemy? We know that our enemy was a former worship leader. We know that he got fired for setting himself up above. We know that the devil, Satan, Lucifer, his music, his worship was so good, right? And it was so powerful that at times he thought, ah, the worship's not going to him anymore. It's coming to me. And so because he set himself up above, he was fired from his job and he left heaven and he took a bunch of people. You know, there's a different message that he gives to every one of us. There's a different message that Satan speaks to me that he speaks to you. Sometimes it's very similar and other times it is very, very different. But I think for most people, he tells people, you know what, you're number one. You don't need a man, you don't need a woman. You got you, do what you want, do what makes you happy. How many people is the devil speaking this message to every single day? You know, one of the things that I like about marriage is the Bible says in the beginning, God made a man and he made a woman, that these two come together, they become one flesh, right? Now, how many of us know that becoming one person, if there's two becoming one, that means that there's some things that have got to happen, right? Why does the devil hate marriage? Why does the devil hate a man and a woman in a traditional marriage? Because it represents a selfless living. Marriage represents two people coming together for one purpose. The marriage that God built and designed, coming together a man and a woman, giving, both sacrificing and being selfless for the greater good of what God has put us here to do. There's so many different voices. So we know that this, our enemy, Satan, he's telling us, you got this, you're number one. And how many times we hear different voices, and I'm not saying that any of us are crazy or weird, but we do hear different voices. Sometimes we hear that voice. You don't need to carry your cross anymore. You don't need to go to church anymore. You don't need to do this anymore. You have done enough. Now think a second, Satan, the devil, Lucifer, do you think he encourages you every day to be selfish or selfless? Does he come to you and say, listen, you need to be selfish today? Does the devil visit, audibly come to you and tell you every single morning, hey, you just need to focus on you today. Nobody else cares for you. You just need to focus on you. You just need to be you. Or do you think, do you think he comes to you and says, do you think the devil comes to you and maybe he takes a little truth with a little lie? and tell you, you were selfless yesterday, so you're gonna be selfish today. You've been there enough. You know, Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. That's no easy task. How many people have given up on the process? 
You know, when Jesus was arrested, he was beat up, he goes through a trial, he gets given, after he gets whipped 39 times, after he gets given the cross and he's carrying it and he can't carry the cross anymore and they bring in somebody else and they carry the cross, Jesus is going through so much pain and agony and he gets to the cross. Where did they have to go? They had to drag this wooden cross up to a mountain where he was nailed to it and crucified. There was a process that Jesus went through, no easy process. And the, so for the words of Jesus to say to us, it's one of, I think, the hardest things in Christianity where he says, you must also deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Because how many Christians halfway through said, you know what, I've carried my cross enough. I've done enough. And Jesus is saying, you haven't got to the hill yet. You, you carried it. And you, yeah, you've, you've taken 15, 20 steps and you've grown, but you haven't made it to that hill yet. So how different are their voices? And you hear the Holy Spirit over here who's speaking to you every single day. And then you hear the devil over here and he's also speaking to you. Neither one that we can see, right? Neither one that we can see, but we can feel that we can sense Hard to punch someone you can't see. Hard to watch for an enemy when you can't see your enemy. And sometimes it's hard to listen and understand when the noise of life is so loud. We are on the front lines this morning. We are fighting a full-on battle. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Ephesians. I already did that one. We're going to go to Isaiah this morning, 21, starting in verse 6. It says, meanwhile, the Lord said to me, put a watchman on the city wall. Let him shout out what he sees. He would look for chariots. He should look for chariots drawn by pairs of horses and for riders and donkeys and camels. Let the watchman be fully alert. And so last Sunday, to kind of pick up where we left off, God has called us to be watchmen. And if you talk about watchmen this morning, they were men, let's just say we'll put women in there, women who were called to be in a spot, to be in a post, to take a look, to stand there, fully alert, watching, to be leaning in, pressing, to be kind of like a guardian of that city in that town, to, to stay awake, drink lots of coffee and Red Bulls and Munsters and energy drinks, to be fully alert, watching, ready, willing, because when the enemy comes, if the watchman falls asleep and the enemy comes, what's the enemy going to do? It's going to take over the city. The watchman has one of the most important jobs, right, in the Old Testament. The setup to watch. I'm watching not only for my, my spouse, my kids. I'm watching for my brothers and my sisters. I'm watching for my whole town. And so we know fully that pastors are called to be watchmen, that we are called to lead and watch when the enemy comes attack. But just in that same tone, we are all as people called to be watchmen. God puts people under your life and into your care. We know that as parents, he gives, when you're a parent and you have kids, that you are a watchman for your kids. Before the enemy comes, before the enemy gets close as a parent, you need to see and sense and smell that the enemy is coming so that you can whack him and take him out. God has put people and friends in your life that you are the watchman over those friends. You are the watchman for those friends in your circle. And so some of us, we have little circles and some of us, we have bigger circles, right? God gives a smaller amount of people to some people to gives a bigger amount. And as he's speaking through Isaiah here, he says, let the watchman number one be fully alert. So turn to your neighbor and say, are you fully alert this morning? Are you fully alert? To be fully alert means to be diligent, to be diligent, to be attentive, to hear, to listen carefully. 
And I have to confess, sometimes I don't listen very well. There are times when I admit that I am a super busy person, and I'm not going to make any excuses for myself, but sometimes I'm super busy, and sometimes in my busyness, sometimes in my life, there's just sometimes I don't hear. Sometimes it's almost like taking earplugs, put them in your ears, and you just can't hear as well, right? And how many of us, when we don't realize it, we're not fully listening? We're not fully listening. There's times when my wife, there's sometimes when my kids give important information, and I miss it. And I miss, I miss the little keys because I'm not fully listening. We all do this. Every single day, there are times where because we're not fully listening, we miss important information. If the enemy is coming after you, the enemy is coming after your kids, how important is it that you be fully diligent? How important is it that you be fully diligent, fully listening, taking the headphones out, right? Taking the headphones off, no matter if you're wearing the Apple or the Android kind or whatever headphones you have, so that you can hear. You can hear the sound. You can hear the stuttering. You can hear the horses. How important is it, number one, to listen, to be fully alert? Because God will give you that. If you are listening, if you're looking, and if you're willing to do that for your spouse, for your kids, for the people in your life, God will give you that warning. He will speak, and he'll let you hear. Then secondly, in Isaiah chapter 62, he says, I have posted watchmen on your walls, and they will pray day and night continually. Take no rest. All you who pray to the Lord, give to the Lord no rest until he completes his work, until he makes Jerusalem the pride of the earth. And so the very first thing that we see is a watchman God's asking us to stay fully alert, fully diligent in what he's put us here to do. And there's times we all take breaks. We all need that five-minute break. We all need that 20-minute break. But when death is on the line, when the enemy's coming for someone that you love, it's usually when we're taking that break. When the enemy's coming after you or coming after somebody you love who's close in your circle, it's normally when you're taking that break and saying, God, I'm, I'm taking this next hour off. That's when the enemy comes. And so the writer in Isaiah says, listen, stay fully alert. Keep yourself awake. It's kind of like when Jesus was about to be arrested. What did he say to the disciples? Could you not stay awake and pray? The spirit is willing, but the body is what? Weak. Right? At times we all get weak at different things in different areas. Right? And so Jesus speaking to his disciples, listen, your spirit, my spirit is willing and I've placed it inside of you. But don't let your flesh get weak. And so we must, as the watchman and the, and the watchwoman of who God's placed in our life, we must listen. We must stay alert. We must be fully diligent. But secondly, the writer of Isaiah says, we must pray all the time. It doesn't hurt to pray all the time, right? How many of us, when, we, when you stay in that attitude and you stay in that mode and you stay in that zone of praying, we could pray all day long. It doesn't make it us weird. doesn't make us awkward. But as a Christian and as a believer, as things pop in your mind, as people pop in your mind, immediately God's put on them on your heart so you can pray. The people that he's placed in your circle to pray for those people all 
the time. And there's times where I do, and there's, I'll be honest, there's times where I take that day off and I just forget or I'm just too busy to pray. And then God has to remind me and he has to bring, bring me back to that point where you need to keep praying for the people that you have in your circle. Who are the people who are in your circle? Who are the people that God has placed under your care? Who are the people that God has placed under your watch? And it's one of those things where, how about we know when it comes to prayer, Jesus t told a story about how we should pray. And it was called the story of the persistent widow. And he says, this widow came to a judge and she said, I am having an issue with that guy around the corner. I hate him. He did this to me, this, this, this to me. And the judge wanted to dismiss her and kick her out. But this widow, who was persistent and she wanted to make sure that she got her hundred bucks, she kept coming to that judge day in and day out until what? Until the judge said, you know what? I'm tired of hearing you, widow. Here, take the hundred bucks. I'll give you my hundred bucks, right? Here's 200 bucks, just get out of my way. God said, this is how Christians need to pray persistently until there is movement, until there is action. And how many of us this morning have people and family and friends and situations right here in our hands where we pray when we remember to pray. We pray ah, when we get to it or when we're blessing our food. Oh yeah, and I you know, bless Johnny over there and Susie. And just throw out that quick prayer. God has put us here to be fully alert, but to pray day in and day, in, uh, day and night. And then secondly, if we go to Ezekiel this morning, 33, verse 1. Once again, a message came to me from the Lord, and it says, Son of man, give your people this message. When I bring an army against a country, the people of that land choose one of their own to be a watchman. When the watchman sees the enemy coming, he sounds the alarm to warn the people. How good is it if you listen and you know because you're listening, the enemy's coming. And then how important is it that you're watching and you're awake and you're alert and so you see the enemy coming? But what happens if you don't sound the alarm? You heard, you watched, but you don't say anything. I'm just gonna keep this to myself. That's what many of us Christians do today. We're not sounding the alarm. We're not sounding the alarm. The enemy is coming. He's coming for you. He's coming for your kids. He's coming for this. People, we have to be around people. We find more hope around each other. To kind of illustrate this point of sound the alarm a little bit more, I want to use a popular story, Acts chapter 3, verse 1. And it says, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man who was lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called Beautiful, so he could beg from the people going to the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at this man intently and said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. And in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. And Peter took that lame man by the right hand and he helped him up. And as he did this, the man's feet and ankles instantly were healed and strengthened. He jumped up, he stood on his feet, he began to walk, walking, leaping, praising God. And then he went into the temple with them. So we see this story, there's three things that I wanna point out before we kinda of start to wrap up. But as Peter and John were walking into the temple, these two young men, well one was young, the other one was older. As they're walking into the temple, they see a man who had been there every single day of his life. And he was put there, his job was to beg from other people. 
Just like many of us this morning, we know tons of beggars who are out begging every single day. And there is what I'd like to say a silent generation. And that silent generation is those who they see the need, but they choose to ignore the need. They see the need, but they just keep going. Now for these two men, they were going where? They were going to the temple to pray. And how many of us know that is a great place to be, right? If you're gonna pray, go pray in the temple. It is a perfect place to go pray. But how many Christians choose to be silent in their generation because they're doing something important, right? And we make that excuse. I don't have to meet this need because I'm on my way to somewhere even more important. And I think that Christians sometimes, sometimes we hide in our Christianity. Sometimes we even hide in the church and we use the church as excuses for us not to do what God's put us here to do, being silent. And then we see next that we also have today a selfie generation. And I think that there's people, many Christians today who they, they see the need, but they wanna take a video of it and a picture and say, look what I'm doing. I'm helping somebody. And then they gotta post it. And then they gotta see how many likes will I get because I'm feeding somebody, right? Selfie generation, how many kids Millions and millions and millions of kids who are stuck in such a selfie generation where it's look at me, look at what I'm doing. And I think that's even creeped into the church and the pastors and people where we have to look at what we're doing. Look at this, look at us, look at what we're doing. And lastly, this is where God is trying to lead all of us. It's to be the generation of Jesus Christ followers who are genuinely trying to follow the Bible the best they can. Now, how many of us know that in this book, there was only one perfect man who walked in here? Who was it? It was Jesus. But yet, how many different people did God use? He used a murderer. He used prostitutes. He used fishermen of all things, tax collectors, right? God didn't pick because there wasn't perfect people he picked real people he picked ordinary everyday real people full of junk full of riches full of good things full of themselves but yet also seeking him but just real people this story this message isn't about trying to act perfect and put on a show this story is to be about him, Jesus. It's his generation. It's his time. Yes, he was here 2,000 years ago. Yes, he walked and talked and lived and breathed 2,000 years ago. But I must follow because he said, if you're going to be my disciple, you must follow. Follow me. Follow in the pages where it's red. And yes, there's some black as well. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You must follow in my footsteps, doing, speaking, and being who I made you to be. For Peter and John, here's a, an older man and a younger man who are hanging out to pray. And as they see this man who was crippled from birth at a beautiful gate, it's called they look at him, and they could have got a quarter out, right? They could have got a dollar. They could have pulled out the Subway sandwich that they had in their pouch and, and gave it to the man. But Peter and John knew the best thing, the most important thing 
that I can give you is Jesus. The number one thing, the best thing that I have, the best thing that is within me, the best thing that's in my possession, the best thing in my mind and my heart and my soul, the best thing, I could help you. I could give you a motel for the night. I can give you money for the week. I can do this and I can do that. But even better than all of those things, and I can buy you a car and I can buy you a house and I can do this and I can do that. But the very best thing I could give you is Jesus Christ. You know, the best that you have to give people isn't you, it's Jesus. The best that we have, it is not ourself, it is Jesus Christ to be the Jesus generation that he's called us and he's brought us to be. Stand with me, we're gonna wrap up this morning. And as we wrap up this morning, I'm gonna read one closing verse. Isaiah 61, starting in verse 1. And it says in Isaiah 61, verse 1, it says, The Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Tell yourself, the Spirit of the Lord, He is upon me this morning. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me. Number one, to bring good news to the poor, broken, hurt, lost. The Spirit of the Lord is on me to comfort the brokenhearted. And the Spirit of the Lord is on me to proclaim that captives will be released, prisoners will be freed. And the Spirit of the Lord is on me to tell those who are mourning that the time of the Lord's favor has come, that they have God's anger against their enemies, all who mourn in Israel. He will give a crown of beauty for their ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, a festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks the Lord has planted for their own glory. And so this morning as we close and as we wrap up this morning, continued on from where we were last week, and that is God has put you here for this time, for this town. As beautiful as Hemet is and as lucky as we are to be here in Hemet, California, he's put you here for this time in this town to be a watchman and you have a circle of influence in your life. You have people, you have friends, and you have family. And what he's asking you to do, to listen at a different level, he's asking me to listen at a different level than what I have been listening at. He's asking me to watch, to be diligent, to be more diligent. He's asking us to watch. But just as we listen as watch is not enough. It's time to sound the alarm this morning, which is my topic, to sound the alarm. You have friends in your life that you have not sounded the alarm. You have family in your life that you have not sounded the alarm. The enemy is coming, and for some, the enemy is already here, right? How many of we know that the enemy has just destroyed and wreaked so many lives? Because we didn't listen and watch or sound the alarm.